0: Welcome to the final episode of Talking APAC for 2022. Talking APAC is a podcast series brought to you by the Australian Psychology Accreditation Council, or APAC for short. We're the organisation that ensures the quality of psychology programmes offered by higher education providers in Australia. APAC acknowledges the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the traditional caretakers of the land, and we pay our respects to Elders past and present. My name is David Glanz and I'm recording this podcast on the land of the Wurundjeri people, one of the five Kulin nations. How does a higher education provider know that their psychology programs meet the standards? Before 2019 that might have been a relatively easy question to answer, The standards then were quite rigid and prescriptive. A provider could look at a checklist and see pretty much where they stood. But over the past three years, new outcomes-focused standards have meant a new approach and providers have the freedom to be innovative in delivering the intended learning outcomes. But that also creates a responsibility to demonstrate that they're meeting the standards. And that's why APAC produces an evidence guide to help providers in that process. To introduce us to the evidence guide and how it's best used, I'm talking today to APAC's newly promoted Assistant Accreditation Manager, Stephanie Kurilis. Welcome Steph and congratulations on your new role. So before we go on, tell us how is your job changing?
1: Thank you, David. Uh, Well, with the introduction of my new position, it's allowed uh, for the opportunity for the team to expand and slightly shuffle, um, I guess, the responsibilities. Essentially, I now oversee the day-to-day management of the accreditation processes, uh, operational support, as well as line management for the accreditation team.
0: Okay, so if providers haven't already met you through site visits or whatever they can expect to see you, and hear from you again in the near future.
1: Absolutely, yes. I'll still um, be very much involved in the site visit process, so yeah.
0: Excellent. Now, we say that the evidence guide exists to help providers with preparing evidence to demonstrate that their programs are delivering. Is that how it's working out in practice? What kind of feedback do you get?
1: Yeah, good question. Thanks, David. Um, It's working well and providers I think they find the guidance and information detailed in the evidence guide uh, quite useful. We do still receive queries from providers um, and specifically around the type of evidence that can be submitted and what might be uh, deemed as acceptable to meet the standards. I guess the intention um, of the evidence guide really is to supplement the accreditation standards themselves uh, and provide an explanation to the intent of each criterion and the guidance on preparing uh, evidence to demonstrate that the programs meet the accreditation standards. So throughout the evidence guide, you'll find examples on how a provider can demonstrate how its programs comply with each criterion um, and I guess examples of evidence that could be submitted for consideration um, for an assessment.
0: Now, can you take us through how the evidence guide is structured What's a useful way for a provider to read it and use it?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So the first part of the evidence guide really is just an introduction and it gives a bit of background and context as to what what the document can be used for. Um, So the evidence guide is is set out by the five different standards or five domains and it details the intent of each criterion. Um, Then at the end of each section or each standard you'll find a list of evidence that might be typically submitted uh, for review Um, however it is very important to remember that the evidence guide is just as the name suggests it is just a guide uh, and the outcomes focused standards do allow providers the flexibility to be innovative in delivering the intended learning outcomes and demonstrate how its programs uh, meet each of the criterion so i guess bearing it in mind uh, there's no expectation for a provider to submit evidence that's detailed within the evidence guide um, and really is at the discretion of the providers um, around the type of evidence that they might submit uh, to meet the standards. It's also really helpful for a provider to give a narrative around how they're meeting each criterion and the evidence that they're submitting along with it. Um, And where necessary, providers are also encouraged to direct or highlight within any documentation um, or evidence where certain policies, procedures or information can be located to ensure that the assessment team can easily locate and review this information uh, as part of the assessment. Then, in the final section of the Evidence Guide, um, you'll find Appendix 1, which details the research requirements um, for programs as well.
0: Okay, well, there's clearly a theme emerging here, and that, that is that the Evidence Guide is just that. It's a guide, and it's meant to give broad advice about the type of evidence to be presented. How does a provider know if the evidence they plan to submit is fit for purpose?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question, David. Um, I guess APAC recognises that providers are the experts in in developing and delivering the curriculum and assessments to determine uh, whether students have achieved the required learning outcomes and the graduate competencies for um, their accredited programs. So as we know, the 2019 standards were deliberately designed to offer all providers flexibility in how to structure their programs. Um, The evidence guide, while it includes advice of what would normally be expected of an accredited program, we also recognise that there could be many ways that a program can enable students to achieve the graduate competencies and prepare students to practise. So with this in mind, it really really is at the discretion of the education provider to demonstrate how their programs um, allow the relevant outcomes to be achieved. And likewise, it's APAC and the assessment team's responsibility to acknowledge, I guess, the different means by which these outcomes may be reached. And we'll always keep this in mind when they make an assessment on any accredited program. Okay.
0: And then to sort of flip it around, there are quite a number of suggestions on how to provide evidence listed under each criterion. What's to stop a provider just providing evidence for each of the suggestions we offer? Um, I I'm suspecting that you're going to say that's not enough, but why isn't it enough?
1: Well, the evidence guide presents a broad list of uh, examples of, of evident evidence um, to allow providers that flexibility and innovation in how they present uh, the evidence and the type of evidence that can be submitted. Um, so I guess... look as we've previously mentioned the onus is on the education provider to give that to complete that self-assessment and provide the supporting documentation which really uh, demonstrates how its programs will meet the standards so i guess with this in mind a provider could provide evidence that is listed in the evidence guide and i guess for each of the suggestions uh, that is detailed there however it would still need to uh, provide that self-assessment and really I guess the context of how the programs meet the accreditation standards. And I suppose
0: the the other side of the equation is, is it okay for a provider to present evidence that's of a kind that's not included in the guide as a suggestion? What happens then?
1: Yes, absolutely they can. So like I said, we recognise that uh, the provider are the experts in developing and delivering that curriculum and the assessments to determine if students have achieved the required learning outcomes and the graduate competencies for their programmes. So we appreciate that this flexibility and innovation can look quite different across all education providers in terms of how um, they deliver those programmes and ensure that students do acquire the graduate competencies. Um, at the completion of their studies. So this is really why the onus is on the provider again to present the evidence um, that really supports their self-assessment and demonstrates how their programs meet the standards. Um, As previously mentioned, I would would strongly suggest that providers include a narrative, um, especially if they're submitting evidence which um, might not be something that's listed in the evidence guide, Um, but it's really just to give that further context um, to that information that they're putting forward for assessment.
0: So we've gone over some of the broad questions about using the evidence guide, but I know from you and other members of the team that there are some common questions, some topics that come up, so perhaps we can quickly run through some of those common questions. One of those, for instance, is how to provide evidence around supervision?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So providers often ask us, I guess, for clarification around um, supervision and placement requirements. So specifically referring to standard one, public safety, um, you have criteria 1.8, 1.9, 1.10. The evidence guide provides some detailed information around what's typically expected. Uh, for that placement component of an accredited program Um, and in particular I guess that in relation to ensuring sufficient hours of supervision and placement. Um, So again the evidence guide at at the end of each section it does provide a bit of um, an example of what might sorry an example of the evidence that might be submitted Um, and these can include you know, documentation such as placement logbooks, uh, supervision logbooks, um, placement manuals um, or program handbooks, uh, which might detail, I guess, and really evidence that the, the requirements for that the placement component of each program. Um, but again, returning back to I guess the point that we've uh, previously made that an educate it, the onus really is on the education provider to demonstrate how uh, their programs meet the standards and. I guess referring to the requirements that are detailed in the evidence guide, a provider may also give a sound rationale for any variation to the requirements that are specified uh, within the guide, which APAC may be, may deem as adequate to meet the standards. Um, this is a typical example of when a provider is encouraged to provide that narrative and give that further context to demonstrate how its programs are meeting the standards, especially if they're submitting evidence which might not necessarily be listed in the evidence guide. Um, It can certainly be submitted uh, for assessment. It might certainly be deemed as adequate to meet the standards as well. Um, But yeah, it it is important, I guess, to give that context and, and direction as well, I guess, for the team to uh, be able to easily locate that information.
0: Research requirements. How do providers uh, best demonstrate that they're meeting those requirements?
1: As we mentioned before, Appendix 1 of the Evidence Guide uh, details the research requirements for accredited programs, and it provides that further detail uh, of the ways in which uh, research projects may take form of. So the research competencies for Level 2 accredited programs, which sits under uh, Pre-Professional Competency 2.5 and then Professional Competency 3.17 for Level 3 programs. Um, All research projects require students to really demonstrate the application of knowledge, uh, skills to plan, formulate a research question, and execute a research-based project uh, that incorporates a critical review of the literature. Um, A provider also needs to ensure that its programs meet the requirements set out by the Australian uh, Qualifications Framework, or the AQF, Including that a master's degree by coursework should include a research project that is applicable to the field of work uh, for which the students are studying in.
0: Perhaps another topic which comes up fairly regularly is the student to staff ratio or the SSR. How should people go about approaching that one?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That is something that comes up quite often. Um, so I guess the the evidence guide, um, in particular under Standard Three, Program of Study Criterion Three Point Four, um, provides uh, I guess some figures that a provider should try and work towards in terms of uh, meeting this student to staff ratio. Um, again. If a sound rationale uh, to any variation of these figures can be provided, of course it can be deemed as adequate. Um, What's really important is that a provider is able to demonstrate that there is a sufficient number of staff available to support students in achieving the graduate um, competencies and the learning outcomes of their programs. And to ensure that students are uh, able to practice safely and competently um, throughout their program and at the completion of their studies. Um, we also have uh, a variety of resources available on our website as well, which includes the uh, student-to-staff ratio calculator, which a provider may wish to use um, to be able to um, present their their information or their student-to-staff ratio. Um, again, though, this is really just a template document, and it. It's not necessarily a requirement for a provider to submit this information to us. So um, if they were to have any other documentation or any other evidence that they'd wish to put forward, it certainly may, um, it, it can be put forward and it, it can be assessed um, and it may be deemed as adequate. Again, just providing that context um, so the assessment team is able to really understand and interpret the information uh, that's being put forward to them.
0: And the last topic I'll throw at you is staff qualifications. Is that a a tricky one? I would have thought it's pretty straightforward, but it's one I know that you and the team, you get questions on.
1: Yeah, it is again something um, that we do get, we do receive questions on. Uh, so, under Standard One, Public Safety Criterion One Point Seven, uh, you have Standard Three, Program of Study Criterion Three Point Three, and Standard Five, Assessment Criterion Five Point Five. Um, and these, so under these standards, the evidence guide really gives um, some detailed information around. Um, I guess the requirements to ensure that um, teaching staff and assessors of programs um, are suitably qualified and hold the right, um, sorry, suitably qualified to deliver the components that they're teaching and ensure that students are well supported to be able to achieve those graduate competencies. Um, again. it, it What is detailed in the evidence guide really is there just as a guide. um, And if a sound rationale can be provided um, to any variation of what's listed in there, it could be deemed as adequate, um, but it would have to be assessed at the time.
0: Okay, Steph, well, thank you very much for your, your patience taking us through those twists and turns. What would your final words of advice to a provider be?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of information and advice that's covered in the evidence guide. Um, In any case, please feel free to give us a call or send us an email anytime to discuss any queries that providers may have regarding the standards. um, And we'll be happy to assist.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. And I wish you and all listeners a happy and safe holiday period. And uh, we'll come back fighting fit for another podcast in 2023. Thank you.
1: Thank you.